Chapter 10. Keeping Ourselves Democratic. Big words and pomposity never were designed for the highest types of men. Our great national figures have almost without exception had one quality which was a keynote to their ultimate success. This was their simplicity. Next was their accessibility. There are numberless big-hearted and big-brained individuals in the world whose duties are so manifold that in order to accomplish what has been placed in their hands they must be saved from interruption, but the truly great individual is never hidden away entirely from his fellow man. He never becomes such a slave to detail that he does not find time to fraternize with ordinary mortals. We do not find him concealed behind impenetrable barriers, guarded and pampered by courtiers like unto a king on his throne, or tucked away in some dark office. He wants to know everybody worthwhile, and everybody worthwhile is welcomed by him. He does not affect to know so much that he cannot be told something new. He is not the sort to refuse to see us at any reasonable time. We should not confound greatness, however, with notoriety. A man who by virtue of large publicity has compelled public notice isn't necessarily a great man no matter how hard he may strive to make himself appear so. Especially is this true of the man who does not make a personal success corresponding to his advertised fame. In time he may have the earmarks of notability, but as Lincoln said, you can't fool all of the people all of the time. It is to be noted with satisfaction that the big captains of industry keep themselves free from petty details. I surrounded myself with clever men, said Andrew Carnegie in accounting for his success, and by the same token the men who took over his great affairs and gave them larger scope and power surrounded themselves with still other clever men, thus reserving their judgment and thought for the higher policies of their institution. They kept themselves in readiness for consultation, and, having men of initiative and self-reliance underneath them, they find time to take in hand other affairs than those of the tremendous businesses they manage. Men of this type often become prominent in public affairs and develop into highly important citizens. The bigger the man, the less he encumbers himself with matters which can be delegated to others. His desk is clear of all litter and minutiae likewise his mind. Such men keep their physiques and mentalities in fine working order and are not to be goaded into ill temper. A refinement of mind is supremely essential to the man who desires to climb to the very top of the ladder. He cannot afford to close his brain to outside information. He is forced to keep it open in order to let in continuous currents of new thought. He does not want his visage to cream and mantle as a standing pawn, as Shakespeare aptly puts it. Therefore, the windows of his thinking department are kept open for refreshing draughts from the outside. He reasons that always there are new guests, new faces, new things to talk about at the banquet board of life. And here is the point. If men who carry on the great industries of the world find a way to keep themselves democratic, Surely men of less importance should be able to do the same? The snob is about as offensive a person as could be described. He is usually a hypocrite, or an ignoramus, sometimes both. His pomposity is naturally repellent. 
we easily become accustomed to dodging such characters. The detriment is theirs, not ours. They are left by the wayside and, sooner or later, wake up to the fact that they stand alone in the world. The world loves the man with an open mind. This is the usual spirit of the progressive citizen. He wants to know and by reason of his accessibility knowledge is brought to him. No one cares to take up the task of informing the egotist who already knows it all. Such is his inherent cussedness that we would rather let him warp in the oven of his own half-baked knowledge. Life is too short to waste our time in educating him. "'How can I see Mr. So-and-so?' says one man to another. "'Don't try,' is the answer. "'He's not worth seeing.' you can't tell him anything. And this sort of a chap misses the big opportunities just because he chooses to build up a reputation for being exclusive. He digs himself a hole and crawls into it and pulls the hole in after him. We can safely imagine him treating the members of his family as though they were servants and his employees as though they were slaves. He may succeed in small things, but in the big game of life we may write him down as a failure. If we have a big idea, we take it to a big man, the man of vision. Anything less is to putter around aimlessly. The bigger he is, the more democratic. He will not look for imperfections in our personal makeup when we show him the new process we have discovered. To be democratic is a triumph of the soul, tending to bring us in close touch with the throbbing heart of humanity. There is no isolation for those of unaffected charm and manner, no barrier in the way of friendship worth having. It is our lack of judgment if we hide ourselves so that we cannot be approached. No matter how high we rise, for the sake of our own brains we must allow men of ideas to get to us. We must not allow our minds to become stagnant. If we fail to get into daily contact with other people, we soon grow dull and uninteresting even to ourselves. Great men may have no time to fritter away, but they have plenty of leisure for men worthwhile, the pushers and the thinkers. A democratic spirit does not come to the selfish man. He is absorbed in himself and is quite a hopeless case. He is a natural-born fault-finder and grouchy by nature. For him life holds no joy save the one in sight. Taking the big look at the man of this type, we can only be sorry for him because of his lack of early training. He started off on the wrong foot and thereafter drifted along. Seldom do we overcome the habits with which we arrive at man's estate. Those who do are entitled to a right-hand seat among the chosen. Being democratic is another phrase for being human and kind. It means that we ought to be able to see behind every face and find the truth of that individual's existence. It means that life is largely a matter of how we look at it, and being human is one way to get the proper slant at things. The human mind has great adaptive power and can be molded into a thousand ways of thinking. The intelligent man, the man who has taken stock of himself, is able to smile and extend a hearty hand-clasp whenever he feels tip-top or not. He doesn't have to look glum simply because the world hasn't thrown itself at his feet. He has only to persevere, and success will come eventually. We must correct our failings as we go along 
or we will slip down into the rut and stay there. It is a simple matter to be good-natured and full of the zest of life if we poise ourselves right, keep ourselves democratic. It is this great soul quality which brings us true friends and boosts us into the fulfillment of our ambitions. Then we may truly laugh and live. End of chapter 10 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks dot com.